1: Hi everyone. This is Raul Pal, the CEO and co-founder of Real Vision, and welcome to my podcast. Every week, I'm lucky enough to speak to tons of smart and innovative people in the financial game. I get so much insight from these conversations, and that's why I wanted to start this podcast so I can share that knowledge with you. I hope you learn from the discussions, and you can always find more in-depth content at realvision.com. Enjoy the show. Ben, fantastic to get on Real
0: Vision. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to excited to talk to you, so. This yeah, is awesome.
1: this is this is going to be a lot of fun because I think uh, what you're up to is going to kind of blow people's minds and I just think it's really exciting. So <laughs> b- before we get going, let's you've got an amazing story of your career. So let's go through that first because I think it's amazing.
0: Okay, cool. So yeah, I'm the author of I guess 23 or 24 books at this point. Two of them became big uh, movies and so those are the ones that People have read of mine. One of them was Bringing Down the House, which became the movie 21 about the MIT blackjack team. And then the other one was The Accidental Billionaires, which became the movie The Social Network about the founding of Facebook. But I never really set out to be a nonfiction writer. I wanted to be a writer since I was a little kid. And, uh, and I was trying to do Michael Crichton type of writing. I was trying to be like a big thriller writer. Um, and stumbled into a true story. And so I kind of just fell in with the MIT blackjack team. How, did, I, that,
1: how did that happen?
0: Yeah, I mean, I was in Boston. So, uh, you know, as a kid, um, my parents had made a rule that we had to read two books a week before we were allowed to watch TV. So starting at the age of 12, I had become a speed reader <laughs> so that I could watch like Three's Company, not <laughs> <laughs> And so I, I was always wanting to be a writer. And so when I graduated from college, I was in Boston. And I wrote 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 wrote like uh, nine novels in the first year out and was rejected by everyone. And and it wasn't until I'd written a thriller that was a little bit better that I sold my first book, but it didn't do well. Nobody read it. So there was a local bar in Boston and a friend of mine who was the woman who ended up being on the MIT Blackjack team. And in the movie 21, she was portrayed by Kate Bosworth. Um, She introduced me to her friend. She's like, this is a group of people who are going to Vegas every weekend and I started going with them and I, I was blown away because when I first met them, they looked like regular math science guys, but they had tons of money <laughs> and it was all in like hundred dollar bills. And you never see hundred dollar bills, at least, I mean, in Boston, you don't ever see hundred dollar bills. So I wanted to know why. And that's how I fell in with them. And so they showed me this kind of secret thing they've been doing where they use math to beat blackjack and had won like six million dollars. Um, and I was blown away. So that became my first nonfiction book and became my first successful book. And so I became a journalist, not on purpose, <laughs> but because the first story I found that actually people read happened to be true. And what, what made you decide
1: to write that story just because it resonated so much with you? What was that thought process?
0: Yeah, you know, I'd always been looking, I'd been coming up with stories of my own. And, and I was writing, I wrote for the X-Files. I was writing kind of pop sci-fi kind of stuff. Um, and I was always, you know, my eyes were always open to things that might be interesting. And I was kind of blown away by the idea that these these people who were super smart, you know, they weren't criminals, they weren't doing anything that was really illegal. Um, they were just using math. And it was just a kind of a cool anti-authoritarian, just using your brain to beat the system. And I think I've always been attracted to that, the idea that there are these systems set up that you feel like are against us, right? There's these walls you're always trying to climb over. And when a, a smart person figures out a way over it, it just, it hits something inside. It's, it's a very kind of- um, Because attractive.
1: everybody thinks I could be that person.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you wanna, you, everyone wants to sort of find a way, a secret. I've said this before, but one of the things that has always intrigued me is the idea that there are these doors in life that we just walk by all day long and we never look inside. And there could be something really cool going on back there. Um, and that's the story I'm always looking for. What is this thing we've walked by a million times? And, you know, Vegas, casinos, we all know what they are. And there's this group of kids who might be sitting at the same blackjack table as you, right? But they have this secret that allows them to win. And so that, it just intrigued me. It was it was mind-blowing to me that it was real. And what was really cool is they hadn't told the story yet. Nobody had heard this story yet. And so I was able to get inside um, and just be a part of it. So it was awesome. So... Your
1: crypto journey starts with you then writing about the Winklevosses. Talk me through
0: that. You know, it starts with the social network. Is I meet the Winklevoss twins, the Winklevi, right? And I met them in a hotel room in New York. And I remember they walk into the room and I'm like, there's my bad guys, right? They look like every 80s movie that you've ever seen, the giant blonde guys, you know, who are chasing the karate kid around the gym. They're, they're the bad guys. And I grew up with 80s movies. I was obsessed with all of those movies. So I was like, so when, when we wrote The Social Network, really, uh, they were one note. I never saw them as anything other than the big jocks who were chasing Mark Zuckerberg around campus. And, and they were very helpful. They gave me so much information in terms of how I wrote that book. But, you know, and I stayed friendly with them. There was no kind of but, – but I didn't think much beyond that. I thought I would never hear from them again. Um, and then a couple of years later, I guess a number of years later um, – uh, reading the New York Times. And there was that great, I think, Nathaniel Popper article. And um, the title of the article was, uh, The Winklevoss Twins are the first Bitcoin billionaires. Uh, that was the, the, the headline. And I was like, really? <laughs> Who, Winklevoss Twins? <laughs> and I'd heard of Bitcoin, but I didn't know anything about it. People have been coming to me for years being like, you should write about Bitcoin. You should write about Bitcoin. But I was never interested, because I'm not a math guy at heart. I don't understand the blockchain, or I didn't then, the word blockchain, I just hate. I think it's a horrible word. It just makes your eyes glaze over. Everything about it was not thrilling to me. But then the idea that the Winklevoss twins are in the middle of this, that was intriguing. And so I went to New York and I was like, guys, I, I got to talk to you. What the heck is going on? And they were nice enough not to be mad about the social network. <laughs> sat down and and they were just kind of building Gemini at the time. So I started hanging out with them. I spent you know six months to a year just shadowing them around and learning everything I could about Bitcoin and crypto. And then I met Charlie Schramm and Roger Ver, all the other characters in Bitcoin Billionaires, and I wrote Bitcoin Billionaires. And that introduced me to this whole world. And from there, I got to NFTs because the whole time they were always talking to me about you know, what's going to happen. What They're really big believers that crypto changes everything. Um, they believe in this whole you know the idea that everyone now is going to have power in finance the idea that the nft was important they started telling me about that um and so that's kind of where my journey ended up it was really via the winklevoss twins
1: so tell me what you're up to now cuz this is where i suddenly bumped into you on twitter and i just saw what you were doing and i contacted you immediately and said we need to talk
0: and i was so excited because i I'm, I'm i've been following your twitter i i know you know so much more than I do about all the stuff that I write about, but basically all of this stuff. And I know that, you know, you're so forward thinking. So it was really cool to be able to talk to you in person about this stuff. But, you know, I really fell in love with the idea that NFTs give you the ability to build a community over shared interests uh, where the community members are also incentivized, where they're also, they have a piece of the game. And so when I first started looking at NFTs, I was thinking, what do I want to do with this? Do I want to just write a movie about it? Do I want to write a book about it? All these really smart people, they're behind this door doing something really cool um, that I think is going to change the world and that the rest of the world doesn't know about yet. So there's a great story there. But then I thought, no, I want to do more than that. Um, I want to have an NFT that gives the people who buy the NFT a piece of this movie. Um, so that was the general idea. So what we ended up doing, and we called it the Ben Meserich Project or Ben FTs, and we say friends with Ben FTs um, <laughs> um, uh, well, the idea is is three drops. We did the first drop already, um, and each one is related to the type of books I write. So the first drop all had artwork around the meme stock revolution, because I wrote a book about GameStop, which we're making into a movie actually this summer. Um the book was called The Anti-Social Network, but anyways. The first drop were all images of little characters on rockets and it was all about GME and AMC. That first drop sold out like crazy, which was really incredible to watch. So we did no promotion, there was no you know pumping or anything like How that. How did you even
1: set price? What did you think about? Because well, I mean, this is the world, yeah.
0: Yeah, we set the price at 0.06 with 6,000 pieces. And we wanted to set it at a reasonable price. The goal—the goal here is not to make money. The goal here was to have a community of people who could all share in this. Um, that it wasn't crazy. The reason we chose Ethereum um, was because I know a lot of my readers just don't are not in this world, um, like me. They're kind of laymen, and so the goal was you got to make this as easy as possible, um, as one step as it could possibly be. And we've actually found uh, that. A very large number of the people who bought my first drop were people who were buying their very first NFT, which I think is really really cool. My Discord, we started with a few hundred people on it. It's you know close to 10,000 people. Wow. Never any promotion. It just grew and grew and grew. Wow. Readers of mine, people who found the project. Obviously, there are speculators too. But that to me, the whole goal was we wanted to set the price at a, a low enough level that it wasn't you know going to be crazy or anything like that. But because Ethereum gas fees are what they are, you have to kind of pick your price around that idea. And I'm learning all this, you know, from the people who are helping me run this, guy named Adam Brotman, who uh, is really brilliant, who, who created the digital, um, the digital uh, loyalty program at Starbucks. Um, and, and Bunchu is can I, can my moderator guy who runs my Discord. He knows more about NFTs than I'll ever know. Um, so they helped me, you know, figure out how we wanted to do this. But the first drop was 6,000 pieces at .06. Um, And now they're on OpenSea, and it's bounced around. I think the good ones go for 0.1 or 0.2, depending on the rarity features. And I'll get into that in a second. The second drop is going to be a free drop around Bitcoin and billionaires. Um, So all the imagery will be around that. And that drop will be free to one per wallet of the first drop. Right. So it'll be a little bit of a bottleneck. We wanted a smaller number of people who actually get to the third drop, which will be another 6,000 pieces at 0.06 and will revolve around Vegas, so going back to my beginnings of my career, you own all three and you get a piece of the screenplay that I'm writing about the NFT space. Um, so I'm going to do hopefully a big movie, um, a la The Social Network or 21, um, in which the NFT owners will own will share it with me 50-50. So I'll own 50% of the screenplay, they'll own 50% of the screenplay, and hopefully it will, you know, it'll do really well. And then we'll sell it to a major studio or we'll make it ourselves. Those are kind of the two pathways for a screenplay at this point. You know, you can go to a studio, sell it, which is what I've done with my previous works, or you could raise money in a different fashion, um, either you know, an independent film company or via the community itself, and make the movie yourself, and then you own more of it. So, what's cool about this is that through the Discord, I'm really gonna do this with the community. So, if you own you know one of these NFTs, you can go to the holders chat on the Discord, and I'm there every day, or the general chat, and I'm talking this through about what I'm thinking about the movie, what I'm thinking about writing how we're going to make the movie and every step's going to be very open. Um, my goal here is to make this one of the most open, um, you know, NFTs out there. You know who I am, right? I'm self, yeah, I'm out there. I'm doxxed, right? And you know what I'm talking about. And I'm literally there every day. You know, we watched the social network the other day on the Discord. Um, and I was just commenting about what happened in this scene and where I was and all this kind of stuff. So that's the way I want this community to be. Um, because I think the coolest thing about NFTs is that for creators like me, for writers and I'm sure you know across the spectrum of creativity artists photographers or whatever can have a community of people who are invested in it who are with you on this ride and now have access to you and you have access to them and that's just to me it's it's revolutionary you can't do this with other platforms in in this way i mean you can look at substack and what they do but really you're just giving the writer money so he can do what he does and that's great but what we're doing here is you get a piece of it you're a part of this project if this project succeeds, everyone who's involved in it succeeds. Um, so they have a reason to help me succeed and I have a reason for them to succeed and it's all kind of I think this is the future of writing in some respects. I think we could go so much farther with this. and so that's the goal. This is going to be, hopefully become a bigger platform where we're using the BenFT and what I've done. we're going to bring in other writers um, and you know the people who have my Genesis uh, uh, NFT will be able to get into that project and that project and we'll grow this both with my own books and with other writers who might want to do this along with us. There's a lot here. Um, (laughs) Firstly,
1: Michael Lewis wrote a bit about it, but nobody's really understood yet the change that is happening in behavioral economics. Hmm. That's what this is. It's an alignment of incentives that was not possible before. And so you're changing economic models by aligning everyone's behavior. So in the past... You only would meet your fans or your community at a meet and greet. Right. You know, the book opening in New York, you go there, you have a glass of wine, you meet 50 people, sign their books. So you get no real sense of them and they get no real sense of you. So here we are suddenly where you've built this big following over the years and now everybody feels part of you. Yeah. Right. Which is what, It becomes a cultural thing. It's now not a transactional thing. It truly is a cultural thing. I'm part of this. And, you know, when I first started seeing what you're doing, I'm like, okay, well, that's amazing because you talked earlier about book advances. Well, that's gone because your community is your advance, essentially, you know, because if you do engage a community and build it like this, they will basically financially support you to write the
0: book. Yeah. I mean, it it absolutely could work that way.
1: Yes. Yeah. yeah. I just think that is a complete quantum change to the publishing industry. Now, you need publishers, but sometimes you don't. Particularly if you're now successful and established, you can actually be an independent.
0: You could. I mean, it's a really interesting question is what do the publishers add to the equation? And it's a question that's been asked ever since Amazon open its kindle doors right everyone started okay what if i can just throw something up in kindle what do i need the publisher for and the reality is to me the publishers are there for a couple reasons one is they vet the quality of the work um there are a lot of walls to break into publishing so the idea is you know there's a lot of luck involved Let's let's not be you know it's not all talent it's a talent's a small part of it there is a lot of hard work and then there's a lot of just being at the right place at the right time getting through that door, there's inequities, there's unfairness, there's a lot of that stuff too, right? But once you kind of get through those doors, the idea is the publishers are only really publishing things that have been vetted to some degree by professional editors that are probably going to be good books. So when you walk into Barnes and Nobles, you have some idea that those covers you're seeing are are at least at a quality level that you're not going to feel bad spending $25 on it. And that's where Kindle, I think, has a problem in Amazon, is that A free-for-all where anyone can publish anything, very hard to weed through. But what's interesting about this NFT stuff is people aren't going to buy your NFT if there isn't some level of vetting already happening, right? Whether you bring your brand to it, so they already know who I am, or they already know my books, or you've got enough people already talking about it or interested in it, so it's entirely turned on its head, right? It's no longer the authority of the publishing house deciding, this guy's good and this guy's not good. It's the community that either has been reading this person or really talks to each other grassroots wise and said, this is what you should be reading, has decided and vetted what's good and what's not good. So that's really intriguing to me is that, you know, yes, the community is going to essentially pay your advance by buying an NFT, but the community is also going to decide what books people should be reading because they're going to decide which of these projects are successful or not. Um, it's really cool. It, it absolutely is a brand new way of looking at this. And also you
1: changed marketing costs because now yeah. you your community does the marketing for you essentially. So you actually yeah. I mean, presumably
0: they do because they're incentivized too. You're right. Of I mean, course they will.
1: Yeah. I mean it's, they want to tell everybody why they bought the NFT this amazing story of what you're doing and why this is so special. They're gonna tell everybody. And when the book's out or the screenplays out or whatever formats you end up doing they're going to want everybody to know about it because of course they are.
0: Your brain needs support and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Yeah, and you would think Hollywood studios are looking at this and trying to figure out, how do we make movies this way? Because the reality is, there's nothing better than a community that wants movies to succeed, right? That's how you make movies successful. Um, Top-down Publicity and marketing is just it's a it's a battering ram, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But if you have an incentivized community who are part of making a movie, it's a whole different ballgame. So
1: imagine right? if Netflix went now to everybody who watched Squid Games yeah. and said, We want to make one of three projects. Here's an NFT, yeah. and you can help us decide which project to make, and you will play an active part in it. They would fund the making of that show. And they would have an audience of millions and they could do it all over again and it becomes a repeatable process of that takes the risk out but without making mind-numbingly similar content because you know what they do they all go down that one thing that they only want to produce you know once you do the social network they all want to pitch you 17 different variations of that on a different
0: story yeah there's every every company in silicon valley has had their attempt at a social network
1: now that's right but as you know They're all declining in terms of importance because you wrote the first one because it was different. That's why it worked. It wasn't because it was the same. But this allows a complete change to how this industry works, but it also changes the power dynamics of the industry back to the creator because the creator has the audience and the publisher doesn't. And Netflix don't really because you have them and you will coalesce them around whatever you decide to do, whether it goes to Netflix or HBO.
0: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It's, it's a, I think it's a creator's dream to have a community that you can communicate with, um, that you can be part of, and that wants you to succeed. I mean, that, that is every artist's dream, I think, in, in all of the different arts. And once you cut out the idea that there, there needs to be this you know arbitrating authority above you doing this, Um, It really does change the whole game. I I think it's awesome. But also when I look at it from the publisher's point of view, it's not just going to disrupt publishing, but it's also a positive for them Um, because the publishers are are stuck. Uh, They're stuck in this very old style business where they can't really decide what's good and what's not anymore, even though that's their main job. It's very hard for them to create a bestseller, Um, which is why you've seen things like Fifty Shades of Grey come out of self-publishing or different projects. Come or they wait for a movie to happen because then you already know you've got a mass audience. Publishing has a very hard time picking winners, um, and so if you can come to them and say, "There's this community, uh, you know, on Discord that wants this to succeed. They're behind it. You know, they 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 already know that what the story is going to be and they're excited about it." That's a win-win for the publishing side um, because they don't have any money to publicize things, anyways, and uh, and they are so behind in the idea of. How to do marketing um, on the internet? They don't know. Uh, they just don't. They don't know how it works. I've never had a book pushed correctly in that world. Just because it's hard. It's it's not the same business. Um, and so this is really intriguing. I think if things work well, I'm hoping to be a model for other authors going forward, um, and also a platform for other so authors. How many forward. books does it need? Do you need to sell to hit the well, that's another great thing. Publishing is a small numbers game. It's very different than like a movie where you need to have how many millions of people see it in the first week. It, it, I don't. The exact numbers differ depending on what season it is and what big books are coming out. But ten thousand people is a very large number in publishing if they all are interested enough to go buy the book in the first few days, right? So, and that's not a huge number. Not um, in internet numbers. No, I mean exactly. Not, you know, like. The least successful movie that came out last year, um, more people saw it than read the most successful book that came out last year. Um, it's just the number. There are just aren't that many readers, unfortunately. It's and, and some books do explode. You know, every now and then, you know, Michael Lewis or, or will sell a million copies of a book. But that is, like, huge. Like, a book that sells a million copies is the biggest book. It's the book everyone's heard of. Uh, even a book that sells a hundred thousand copies is a huge bestseller, um, huge. And a hundred thousand copies—it's not, you know, in in the, in the internet world, a hundred thousand is what it's—it's it's a daily view of, of what you know one of these sites, right? It's—it's it's different.
1: Let's say you scale your Discord or your community to fifty thousand people because people are interested, right? You almost guarantee that you become a bestseller. Which then guarantee I mean, increase. You
0: have to keep in mind, I mean, as we know in the NFT world, there are people who come in and out for different reasons. If you really had fifty thousand people on your Discord who are there because they want to be there, it feels like The Bachelor, right? Are you there for the right reasons? If if people are really on your Discord because they like the work and they like the project and they want to see it work, then absolutely, it's it's a it's a really significant number.
1: So now um, you're in the you're. It's in your power to do this now because you engage the community like you do on Twitter. You engage So it's now taken away from the marketing. So maybe the publisher suddenly has a different book and yours is out and they want to promote that one and you kind of get lost in the cracks. You own the right to do this. Yes. If You can coalesce the community around you. You have a decent probability that you might not have had, but right, different in your case, but for, for somebody more up and coming, the yeah. probability of having a, a successful novel would have been lower, and then the knock-on effect of if it does go on the bestseller it the ability to monetize it via film or a,
0: a series oh, or whatever piles on top of each other essentially. But I mean, of course, it's it's not a simple thing, you know, to build a discord. It, it, the question is, do you have something there that people are going to well, run to or be interested in or excited about? Um, and I and you know, you look at all the different NFT projects that have really succeeded, and it's it's all about, to me authenticity. Um, it's about a community that, that is there um, because they, they share something, um, whatever that might be. And, uh, and so those elements all have to be there. Yes, if I were a starting out author today, I would absolutely be looking at this space. I would be really thinking about it very carefully and saying, because this has never existed before, right? <laughs> There's never been a time in history where you could go on some website and have 10,000 people that you could be talking to and showing something to That they could actually buy, own a piece of—it's never existed before. And we talk about the curation element.
1: It's an much easier way to test an idea than pitching to the publisher or going through, like you did in the beginning of your career, the miserable, you know, rejection (laughs) after rejection after rejection. This way, it's like you'll know pretty quick if you can capture people's attention on a project. And it just, it cha- again, it changes the dynamic because now the author's taking the risk and therefore the author gets paid more in conjunction with the community.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's gonna be fascinating. So one of the things I've been doing on the Discord is I have something called the Ben Storytime channel where I'm putting stories. Every Thursday, I add another story. And so there's now, there's like hundreds of pages of things from my writing, from my life. And, and I'm going to, my goal is that's gonna become a book. Um, which also could be like a TV show, um, like an entourage, but less cheesy. No, I loved entourage. Nothing negative about entourage, but the entourage-esque type story and use the NFT community. If they are like it, if they're excited about it and interested in it, drop an NFT around it and, and publish it with them. Um, and then the question becomes, do you literally publish it via NFTs or do you then go back to the main publishing house? And, and share it with the NFT holders. Um, but we are coming closer and closer to that point where you could just do it as an NFT, right? There are artists doing, you know, albums. There are people who are, who are moving even faster forward than I am. I'm still a bit of a dinosaur. You know, I've still got one foot in the solid world and one foot in the internet world. And I don't, I, I'm not, I'm still afraid to take that foot off the solid world. Um, but I foresee a point where the younger people coming up, Are going to go directly via the NFTs to publish things.
1: I also love the multiple layers of narrative that this is all created randomly, right? So there's the narrative of the social network leading to Bitcoin billionaires that led to your discovery of this, that then leads to you looking at NFTs because you want to write about NFTs. So you want to write because there's a great story unfolding and who knows what that story is to tell. And that's what you do so well. So you figure out what the story is to tell. And by doing it, you create NFT. So at first, it sounds a bit gimmicky. But what it ends up doing is creating another narrative about your journey and this whole thing, because this is the power of the whole thing that people can watch and see. oh, my God, this can change my life, my business as a photographer, a filmmaker, a documentary maker, a a writer, a screenwriter, anybody.
0: And there's another whole narrative around
1: it. I think it's just so compelling.
0: Yeah, it's like Inception. We just need Leonardo DiCaprio spinning a top at the end. But I really did think of it that way, because it really has been this weird, we start, you know, even back in Vegas, with the idea of these people who figure out a way to beat the system, and they're using math and science, which, you know, those guys are the same guys, you know, the MIT guys, who were the first guys into crypto, really. I mean, the guys were sitting in the room, and they see this white paper come across. And they're like, Holy shit! This is going to change everything, but nobody else noticed, right? Silicon Valley's like, ah, that's nothing, and Wall Street's like, ah, oh, that's nothing, and these these group of guys sitting at their computers in their mothers' basements, you know, people like Charlie Schrammer, uh, you know, suddenly are like, this is going to change everything, and they're, and then those same guys again are the guys who are sitting in their room now saying we can own something <laughs> digital. And so it's the same group of people, I think, that I've been writing about my whole career. The nerds I'm, conquering the world, world, right? The no, geeks. I mean, the nerds, but, you know, yeah. I mean, I guess you could say that. But they're the people who are seeing something first, who are smart enough and in the right kind of mode and understand enough uh, to see that next thing. you and, and inserted always,
1: yourself is, into the storyline. Well, I always try he to out. you know,
0: a guy who's seen it himself and is now leading. Yeah, is- I mean, we'll see. I've, I've always been the fly on the wall, right? I've always been the one who... Who hangs out in the background and watches the stories. And I've seen so many stories. Um, and I write origin stories. Like that's my thing. Origin of the whole Vegas thing or origin of Bitcoin, origin of Facebook. I wrote a book called Woolly about, you know, the scientists who are making a woolly mammoth because that was the origin of all of this CRISPR stuff and the idea that we're going to tinker with our genetics and you know, where we are next. And now the origins of NFTs, that's what I'm always trying to be a part of. But this was the first time that I saw, wait a minute, there's a place for me in this origin story, because it's going to push things forward for creatives and writers in a direction that that will, will really be important for writers going forward. Um So that's where I saw myself stepping into it. But but you're right. Um, it is kind of this inception idea that, you know, the people involved are going to be involved while I write this story. Um, and it's, it's going to be really neat to see how it all plays out.
1: I think at the end of this, you know, let's assume it gets made into a film or a series or whatever. My guess is that the, and we've seen this with a few other people who have launching NFTs to create films. Camilla Russo from The Defiance is, is making one about Ethereum. But my guess is the broader NFT community will get behind you and you can almost limitlessly fund this because it's a story everybody wants told.
0: That would be cool. And I, and I have to say in the last you know, week or so, I've talked to so many people who have done some incredible things in this place who all are so positive about seeing this happen. So I do think you're right. I think that you know, people want to tell their story which is really, really great because that's the people who should be telling their story. And if I can be the funnel for that or be the conduit to to make it the social network, you think about what power the social network had to shape Silicon Valley, right, to shape an entire industry. And I'm not saying this as the, I wrote the book, you know, Sorkin and Fincher are the geniuses behind what that was. Um, but the power of something like that is so immense. There's no companies. PR campaign or marketing campaign that can come close to a movie like that um, or a TV show that really changes something. And that's the goal here is like if you wrote the perfect movie about the NFT space, it will send you 20 years into the future in that space. And, and that's the goal here is how do you tell that story? And that's what I do. That's what I try to do. And so hopefully um, that's what the community who's buying my NFT sees is that, you know, we can do this. Uh, in a really cool way.
1: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Yeah, and I, because then what happens is you knock on Netflix, HBO, and everything else. So right, I've got a fully funded movie, and it's been funded by 300,000 people. Yeah. They all want to watch it. So, I could bring them and that part of the money. So, what are the economics now for me? Because I've de- risked it entirely for you. I brought an audience right. and money.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, they're, they they've go all over it. I mean, and plus, it's their audience, it's a streaming audience. It's the same people who they're, they've been seeking. You know, it's, it's a really amazing home run situation if it all kind of comes together in that way. And, and I think that'll become a model. You'll want to see that again and again and again. And it will really change the way they want to do things, I would think, because it yeah it takes the risk out of it. It takes the risk out of it, and so it'll be cool. I mean, well, you know, yeah, I, I, I'm I'm super excited about how this could actually
1: yeah, because it also you know it's going to change the power dynamics because um, somebody else was writing about this on Twitter. There's was a great thread about it because somebody's doing something similar to yourself, and I only briefly saw it yesterday. But it basically destroys the power of it's it's a it's an oligopoly of a very few firms who own all film distribution and TV distribution, basically. And everybody has to play in that world. But this upends it entirely, because it's the community and the creator themselves who end up with a different share of the revenue and a different share of the power. It's exactly the same that's happening to the music industry in front of our eyes. We're seeing this process unfolding. So the film industry, the TV industry, the book industry, and the music industry, and probably photographers and artists all at the same time have seen this. Yeah. And it's huge. And so that brings me on to the other thing that you're looking at is is maybe creating a
0: platform around this as well. Yeah. So that's the plan is that this is the first step. And so my, you know, Ben FD kind of proves the model. And then the goal is other writers. Um, I'm already, you know, reaching out and, and figuring out which other writers could launch very similarly and using our Discord to another Discord or different channels on the Discord. Um, but the goal is writer after writer after writer brings in their communities and starts putting out projects the same way, partnering with their fans or whatever you want to call them, interacting with their fans and and building these little communities around each creative. We've got a few you know lined up of stuff that we're going to do, um, but hopefully the goal is it, it builds and builds and builds. And it's interesting, in some ways we're going to be sort of a competitor to Substack or a competitor essentially to Amazon Kindle in some ways, but difference being is the community itself is is financing it, is funding it, um, and is incentivized to have it succeed in a way that you don't see in those other places. All the people who read a book that comes out in Kindle read it for fun and they get something out of it, but they have they're not part of it, right? Um similar to Substack. If you read some author on Substack, you're enjoying his work and you're supporting him, but you're not getting anything beyond that, right? And I think NFTs allow you to then also be part of its success, um, not in a huge way. It depends on the situation, um, but the, the, the NFT itself is of value in a different way than say a subscription is. It's a subscription that you can trade, <laughs> right? It's a, it's a, it's a tradable, um, valuable subscription. Um, so there's really interesting ways you can look at it, but I'm definitely thinking forward um, to to this being a way for journalists uh, to do what they do, for newspapers to do what they do. You could really think about this in a much bigger way, and I think we are we're planning that. But you could really see, you know, journalists as a whole lo- using this um, rather than the old world subscription model. There's
1: a great book. I don't know if you read it called Super Forecasters. It's again, it's about it's, it's kind of up your street because it's kind of geeky. It's got less of a great narrative arc, except the hero of the story is the crowd. Right. And the fact that the crowd actually super forecasters. and if you choose the right crowd, their outcome for success is incredibly high, better than any single expert.
0: Yeah, I mean, that absolutely makes sense. And, you know, I just wrote the, the book about the GameStop thing. And so that's kind of where in my timeline of social right. Bitcoin billionaires, the antisocial network, the idea that this multi-million uh, person crowd on Reddit moved Wall Street, even if only for a few days, right, before Robin Hood pulled the plug. Um, they really shifted uh, the value of a major company, um, you know, to make it one of the most valuable companies in the world simply because they believed in it or they wanted it to succeed. And I still think Wall Street hasn't come to terms with how powerful that is. You know, I know that there are other people writing about, oh, well, Wall Street ends up making money in the end of this kind of that. That's not the important thing. The important thing is for that moment, a, a group of millions of people sitting at home on their couches, like college kids in their dorm rooms, right, shifted all of Wall Street, created billions and billions of dollars in value out of sentiment, right, out of anger or whatever you want, whatever emotion it was. It changed the value of something, and and I believe that this is a fundamental change. That value is no longer about you know what it used to be. Uh, GME is not the same as GameStop. GME is a token, and if enough people believe in it and want it to succeed, um, it's as big as GE. Right? It's it's that's the important thing that I think is still missed, and I know there are you know people still writing the wrong article about what happened there,
1: and also because there was this inherent belief particularly in Wall Street, that you must trust the experts and everybody else's what's known as dumb money. Right. The smart money, which are the hedge funds, and dumb money, which is the retail investors. But what you don't realize is if you get the right group of retail investors together, they can be all sorts of people. They can be forensic accountants, macroeconomic experts, experts on games, gaming, experts on retail, experts on real estate. You put those together, And you give them something to focus on, i.e., what is the valuation of this company and where could it go? Your outcome is going to be better. And I think that is going to apply to your book platform, your publishing Mm -hmm. platform. Because you said, well, what does a publisher do? Well, they curate, right? Because Mm -hmm. the Kindle version doesn't work because it's just too many books getting published. Nobody knows what the hell's what, hard to find anything. Um And everybody lives off the dream because fifty shades of gray came out of it, you know
0: right, right.
1: and and it's it's actually quite exploitive, but what you should be able to do is you've now selected a group of people that like books, like right. certain types of content that you can cross pollinate and say, well, here's an author we're bringing. Do you like this idea now normally, an author doesn't want to let everybody look at his idea because you know it's just too much hmm. noise, everyone's got an opinion. But if a group of people say yeah this is a really great idea then it rises on that platform yeah. it gets funding easier and so the journey starts you build a community suddenly because everyone says hey this is a good one and we're seeing that in NF- nfts overall the mm-hmm. cross-pollination of projects yeah i think your platform could actually be huge for
0: this well, thank you i mean i thank you and i you know i I definitely look to you because I know you see things in such a bigger way after we've conversed once and suddenly I hang up the phone and I spend an hour like thinking so much bigger. I was thinking so small and now I'm thinking bigger. But you're absolutely right. There's so much you could do with this and it's going to be about choosing the right authors. And But you're right. The community is going to be the one that tells you. It's not like the publisher saying you're good and you're not. It's the community looking at it and saying, "Okay, we're interested in this and we're not interested in that. And the NFT sell for that project, and that sells out, and that author's doing a book, and then the author's book becomes yeah. a movie. It's really, it's really awesome, yeah. Because people
1: have skin in the game,
0: yeah, they're going to be more selective in their choices. Yeah, they absolutely, you're right, and and they'll make choices based on different things, not because someone showed them something or told them something, but because they saw the value in that, um, and and they want to, you know, want it to succeed. You're right. So it's 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 going to be cool, and that's the plan. That's the that's the hope um and uh, and yeah I love the cross-pollination that goes on in the nft community where the group from over here you know whitelists to the group from over here and makes that group successful and 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 you could see that from author to author to author it would be really really interesting um so yeah uh, that's the plan
1: yeah Ben well look thank you it's fascinating and I can't wait to follow this story I'm sure we'll follow up with you as this moves on because it's just a great story in itself it's the story of the bigger story and it's it's, it's got all of the context in. I love it.
0: Oh, thank you so much. And, I, and as I say, I really appreciate you and, and coming to you for, for guidance because I, I, I you open my eyes to how big something can be. I usually stumble into thing from thing to thing, um, but I really feel like we're doing something exciting and, and it's just been awesome. So uh, thank you. And I appreciate being able to talk to you about yeah,
1: it. Yeah, thank you, my friend. And we'll speak soon. Absolutely. The thing I learned from Ben was the power of crowds and how community can probably change the world in ways that we're yet trying to grapple with. I think it's enormous to understand how many things Ben is accidentally disrupting in the process of doing this project. And at the end of it all, I realized that the crowd, us as individuals, are the heroes of the story. I think everybody should now understand, particularly from hearing Ben, that the communities you belong to are going to matter more than ever. As culture becomes an investment, you're going to be an active participant in the cultures you adhere to in the communities that form part of it. That couldn't be more exciting. Hi, thanks so much for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed it, I've got a free membership waiting for you. If you want to understand the future of everything, then understanding digital assets is the key. We're not ever going back to a pre-crypto world. Blockchain technology is transforming everything from communities to healthcare to real estate to, well, just about everything. That's why in 2020, we launched Real Vision Crypto, the world's premier cryptocurrency and digital asset video channel. Right now, Realvision Crypto is helping more than 220,000 members understand the biggest wealth creation opportunities in a generation and maybe of all time. And Real Vision Crypto is completely free. To get your free membership to Real Vision Crypto, please visit www.realvisioncrypto.com. That's www.realvisioncrypto.com.